Gad, this is Pinky, the real star of Pinky and the Brain. And when Brain and I are preparing to take over the world, we are listening to Vocal Cues with Michael Wynn Johnson. And one more thing, Nerf! Well, happy Wednesday, cue ballers. It is, in fact, Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. And unless you've been living under a rock, you know that in American politics, I almost said American, in American politics, yeah. Uh, that means the day after election day. And uh, let's be honest, wasn't really an election day because nobody won anything yet. So we kind of knew this was all going to happen. And I think, unfortunately, we, we might know where this is going to end up. And I say, unfortunately, who knows? Let, let's be honest. I try not to bring politics into this podcast because uh, let's face it, this is about voice acting. It's about nostalgia for your childhood. That's not what's important. The reason I bring up politics, the reason I bring up the stress of election day is because it's been kind of a shitty year. Well, not even kind of, it's been a shitty year, let's be honest. And uh, we need this podcast. And that is uh, that is no hubris on my part. I, I just feel like everybody needs a little nostalgia, a little joy, a little warmth, a little Rob Paulson. The other thing you might be saying to yourself is, wow, Mike, I've never heard you drop a curse word on this podcast once again, because I try to keep it light and innocent. But uh, the fact of the matter is who knew that the voice of Yakko, the voice of Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, the voice of two of your Ninja Turtles, even Raphael from the 80s, uh, was such a, a trucker. Dude was dropping F-bombs and, and shits and fucks. And <laughs> it's just fun to say on this podcast once in a while. Yeah, this will be the explicit episode of Vocal Cues. Who knew? You wouldn't expect that from Pinky. He just, I mean, maybe Raphael, not the 80s Raphael, but maybe Raphael. But the fact is, Rob is just, so much fun to talk to. He just speaks his mind, which I think is fantastic. And you'll hear in this conversation all of the things we talk about. It's tremendous when a guest is as giving as Rob is. And in this conversation, we get to so much fun stuff. We talk about the Ninja Turtles, of course. We talk about the Animaniacs reboot. We talk about the Red Wings and the Leafs. We talk about the fact that Rob is an honorary Canadian because not only has he played, you know, semi-professional hockey, but he knows how to pronounce Toronto and Etobicoke. And he, he knows about Southern Ontario, God bless him. Uh, you know, Frank Sinatra and his love of music, his own music career. Uh, this is just to kind of uh, go back to what I was saying about this being an explicit episode. This is a fucking great episode and we need this shit uh, this year. We need this shit right now. You need to listen to this episode because uh, the joy of Mr. Rob Paulson is just contagious. So without further ado, here is Mr. Rob Paulson. Ladies and gentlemen, another absolute treat. Uh, I've said to my guests in the past that when I was thinking of a name for this podcast, I had thrown around the name of Voices from Your Childhood, which I believe was a book. I think I probably stole it from somebody. But um, this is one that actually applies because my other guests have been people that I knew in my teenage years. I knew even in my 30s, and I don't want to embarrass my guests. But this is a guest that I have known since my childhood, and so have you. Um, please welcome Emmy Award winning a daytime. This is one thing I wanted to ask you, Rob, by the way. Yeah. Why do they separate daytime Emmy Award winning and Emmy? It's just an Emmy, isn't it? I know. Well, it, you know, I have to say, in all fairness, as much, and thank you very much for your very auspicious introduction. And I am not the least bit offended uh, that you reference my. Um, relative age people don't know this but i was uh, the entertainment at the last supper 
So oh, nice. I, I've been around. Yeah, in those days, I went by Shecky of Arimathea, and I, Jesus, what a party. But uh. um, honestly, there is a difference. And I, I don't know if it's, per, well, it is perceived, but the truth is, um, in my humble opinion, having won, having been nominated for three Emmys and won one, mm-hmm. uh, but my dear friend, The Brain, um, Maurice Lamarche from Don Mills mm-hmm. um, won two primetime Emmys back to back for Futurama. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, look, I, it was a wonderful thing, and I'm not going to give it back. Um, <laughs> but my Emmy and five bucks will get you a Frappuccino <laughs> on, on this side of the border. Right. On your side of the border, it's my Emmy. And $7.26 Canadian. Right. right? Better exchange uh, rate. Yes. Yeah. But um, I think it's because uh, there is more, well, how do I say? I'm not going to, well, whatever I say, it's not offensive. Daytime TV is, apart from soap operas, which is, you know, acting, acting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about uh, kids TV, game shows. And and look, if 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 somebody called me and said you want to host Prices Right, you're freaking kidding me. Yeah, I make whatever Drew's making five million bucks, twenty, whatever. Sure. Um, but in terms of of the art of performance, um, it is more relegated to the evening. Um, I, I don't. My performance is Pinky. Uh, when Pinky was a daytime show on its own was no less committed than my performances when Pinky was aired as a primetime show, Pinky right. in the Brain. That happened for a season. Um, but I do understand the difference. And uh, I can also tell you that Maurice LaMarche's two Emmys for his primetime work on Futurama, which is so incredibly remarkable, um, his two Emmys will also not help him get an extra table. <laughs> It's not like winning an Oscar. Right. I, um, I've even had an, an experience years ago where about a year after I'd won my Emmy, which was, gosh, 20, 21 years ago. Yeah, it was 1999. Um, I, uh, I remember being at a, some event and a producer with whom I'd worked for many years came up and said, hey, by the way, I never got to congratulate you on your Emmy. I saw you on TV. Really, it was a big deal for me and my family, as you can imagine. I got to actually do the, you know, the thing where you fake it with a hairbrush in your hand in front of the mirror. I actually got to do it. Nice. Um, But here's what happened. He said, uh, God, you know, congratulations. I, I really hope someday I can afford to, you know, work with you again. And I, I said, I kind of chuckled. I said, I, Forgive me. What? What do you? What do you mean? Because we haven't worked together since before the Emmy. He said, "Well, I haven't even called your agent because I figured, you know, now that you are the Emmy winning, that your, you know, your rate, you'd be working over scale." Uh, it was the utter antithesis of what a layperson would suspect would happen right. as a result of winning a statue. Um, I had people. If there's one, there may have been several whom I'd known for 20 years and assumed that I would want more money. Um, (laughs) So it doesn't work that way. If you win your Oscar for best performer or best actor or best, you know, uh, um, 
supporting actress. Yeah, it'll mm-hmm. it'll make a little bit of difference in your change, but um, not with Emmys, at least not with me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I ain't giving it back. Right. Good. Good. Well deserved. Well, and just let me finish because we are talking to Mr. Rob Paulson, the man, oh, the that, legend. Yeah, there hi. you go. There's the last name. Uh, but yeah, a man who has voiced over 250 characters Jesus, in your really? career. That's crazy. Yeah. Does that blow you away as well? It does. Uh, and I, I think mainly because to, to know that there are people, bless your hearts, uh, who take that on. I, I don't keep track of that stuff. <laughs> I, I I didn't, you know, when I first found out about um, the Internet Movie Database, I thought, how the hell did that stuff get there? I have never updated or posted anything on Wikipedia, IMDb. I don't know how any of it gets there. And all of it in my case, I don't, I think the last time I read my Wikipedia page was a few years ago. Um, It was, uh, it was correct, but... I mean, I, I, who does? I mean, literally, do you know who, how that works and who puts stuff on IMDb? I, I, I don't do that. I know how it starts, speaking as somebody who doesn't have a daytime Emmy, um, that, <laughs> that basically when you are kind of an independent filmmaker, speaking yeah. of somebody who's got experience, we do that on our own. So okay. that is totally trying to get hype. I would assume this is your fandom uh, because, right. you know, the bigger you get, the more people read about you. This is kind of... I think the interesting thing about voice actors as well, which I've talked about with my other guests, is that you have this generation of voice actor, or perhaps you're a part of the first generation that actually got mainstream recognition. Celebrity, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, and, uh, and it is thanks to nice people like you, it's happening more and more. Uh, I, um, Maurice and I and Welker and Tress, we all talk about Nancy Cartwright. We discuss this all the time. Um, how, in my case, I came to LA ostensibly to do live action because I had gotten as far as I could go in my hockey career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the only other thing I wanted to be was a hockey player. Um, and about 17 or 18, some kid from Winnipeg drilled me so hard with a clean legal check. And I thought, holy shit, I got, I got no business. That's it. Yeah. I love the game too much to take it that seriously. Great. And I can't afford the dental insurance. Um, <laughs> So I came to L.A. and came to L.A. for the normal reasons, music, television, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. But um, we often hear that phrase that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And, and I'm a great example of that. I came to L.A. to ply my trade, not expecting to go down this road, but open to just working. And I certainly fantasized about doing animation because June Foray and Paul Fries and Mel Blanc and, you know, they're all heroes to me. Yeah. Um, but I was doing the normal stuff and then the opportunity arose to do cartoons. I jumped on it. I'm glad that I stayed that course uh, because you're right. This is um, the first generation of people with the rare exception of Mel Blanc who, uh, who are getting mainstream uh, recognition. Mm-hmm. And while it isn't what drives me, um, otherwise I would have stayed in the on-camera side of things because I was working. I have to tell you, man, I'm so glad I made this choice <clears throat> because uh, the pure, unadulterated, deep connection and joy 
that happens literally. I haven't met them all, but I can. I have my own anecdotal experience. I've done it with probably a few thousand people. Yeah. So it's probably several million. But the moment I start doing this, look what happens to your face. I haven't cracked a smile. <laughs> you can't stop it. Or if I say, hey, don't forget to finish your croissant. It's remarkable. Yeah. So you illustrate my point for me about how, how grateful I am I made this choice. Because the celebrity that I've cultivated, Maurice, Nancy Cartwright, Tara Strong, Tress McNeil, Kevin Conroy, whom you know, uh, we've all done on-camera stuff. Yeah. But man, a connection to an animated character that, that becomes Batman or Pinky or Bart, um, that, that is a profound connection, my friend. And I know that there are people watching this right now going, holy shit, is he, the, is he telling the truth? It's, it transcends generations. Mm -hmm. It transcends national origin. Uh, people tell me they had an adversarial relationship with their father for 20 years until their father said, hey, I, I was watching this Pinky in the Brain the other day. You might like it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that's their connection until their father dies. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Things that are beyond a paycheck or an action figure or a rating point or even celebrity. I, I, I'd be lying if I said I don't like it when people make a fuss over me, but it is not what, what drives me. What drives me is exactly what happens to your handsome face when I start doing this. That is precisely what, what makes this the best gig in the world. Love it. Well, thank you for saying handsome as well. Um, I'm going well, to... I was born at night, but not last night, my friend. <laughs> Way too good looking. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thank you. I'm actually going just on that. I'm going to share my screen if you will indulge me Please. here because I loved this story um, that your good friend Tara actually shared as well. Oh, and I believe yeah. you posted. Here we go. If we could just pull it up and I will give credit. I'll edit this and oh. give credit to this. Yeah, this is Mr. Anthony. Yeah. And I'll mute it, but just uh, I'll show my viewers who are lucky enough uh, wow. to see this. The absolute amazing reaction of this young man when you Thank got to meet him. Yeah, and this was last year, but this is a, just a perfect example. And while we're playing this beautiful clip, and you can see Anthony's reaction, I just want to talk about uh, kind of, as you mentioned, the healing nature of voice acting. And, you know, you can see the reaction that this young man has. Um, as you had said, he's on the autistic spectrum, um, yes. that he suffered from anxiety. And just look at the connection he's got with you, with that voice. Um, I think you were specifically doing Yakko and Pinky for him. And just how automatically it does, it brings out the best. But the reason I address this is because not only have you done this for others, but your book, obviously entitled Voice Lessons, How a Couple of Ninja Turtles Pinky and an Animaniac saved your life, or saved my life, excuse me. Can you talk about your struggles? Because maybe people don't know um, you were diagnosed with throat cancer, right, yes. four years ago, mm -hmm. and how this was healing for yourself. Boy, um, yes, 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 in all accounts. And yeah, pardon me, sweet Anthony, that young man, um, um, and God bless you, Tara, another Torontonian. 
that young man is a living, breathing metaphor for what happens a lot at um, Fan Expo Toronto, Motor City Comic Con, San Diego, you name it. Obviously, we're dealing with COVID Con 2020, but once that's over and we're back to the usual glorious opportunities to meet people. Um, I was having this very discussion yesterday with a, a world famous physicist who I'm doing a little Q&A with. He just released a new book about his time with Stephen Hawking. And uh, I was talking to him about our friend Anthony and how uh, humor, joy, uh, that, that young man was, was, I mean, crying hard, joyful tears. Yeah. And the, 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 let me back up a little bit. When that young fella uh, was in line, um, his sister who brought him to see me in, in New Hampshire, and it was Granite State Comic Con about, about a year ago. Um, often there are a lot of folks on the autism spectrum who for whatever reason connect with, like with Kevin or with Mark Hamill. Right. There are millions who, you know, they know he's the, the, the savior of the universe, but Jesus Christ, he's the joker, baby. Um, and um, I've met many young and older children on the autism spectrum. My oldest nephew is autistic and will always require some assistance. Uh, so this young woman brought her brother at his insistence three and a half hours each way. Wow. I think they drove from Pennsylvania. I don't know. And in addition to his challenges with autism, he struggles with crippling anxiety, right. which is not unusual. Right. For folks on the spectrum, loud noises, you often see children who are autistic, you know, with headphones. But he knew that. He's almost uh, uh, agoraphobic, homebound. Mm -hmm. Right. But when his sister, he knew, she knew how much he loved Yakko, not me. And it's not false modesty. I'm good at my job, but I don't draw him, I don't write him. But somehow that voice, there we go again. And, um, she said, hey, Anthony, the guy, uh, Yakko's going to be at uh, Gret. Oh, my God. So three and a half hours with profound uh, anxiety right. to the extent that his sister said, that's my brother, about 20 or 30 people down the line. And literally, I'm sitting down, but he was rocking back and forth. You know, I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking to watch this sweet boy. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, everybody was kind. That's what I love about this whole experiment. People are so uh, inclusive and kind and sweet at all these conventions. Um, everybody was certainly being nice. The, the sort of beautiful aspect of it was that nobody was paying attention to how uncomfortable he was. In other words, his what would ordinarily draw attention to himself in a social situation People were utterly accepting, like, it will make it worse if we go, oh, my God, what's going on? You know what I mean? It was, like, beautiful yeah. in a weird way that nobody was getting upset about his being so devastated. But God damn it, he stuck it out. And his sister would just want you to know what's coming on, that why he's, I said, got it. I've, I've done, I know exactly. So he made it up to me. And um, his sister took that video. You can hear her laughing in the background. It's on mm -hmm. YouTube. I think it's called Anthony Meets Rob Paulson at Granite State Comic Con. Um, 
And there's a three photographs, three, a series of three quick shots taken over 30 seconds um, that I've also posted with their permission on Instagram. When Anthony made it to me, he was, I, I mean, sobbing. And, and, you know, his knuckles were white from grabbing his, what, it was awful. Yeah. And then I started talking to him as Rob. And then the third photograph, I think I said, hello, Anthony. I, got, I understand you like Yakko. And then he got his shit together. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those glorious moments. You, you kind of know when it's happening that, thank goodness, your sweet sister is taking a video of this. I don't know that I'll ever see it, but this is going to be so important to that young man that he will be able to see how brave he was in that for him to for her to say anthony look remember this yeah. you can do this buddy yeah. right but i'll be damned she posted it and has allowed me to reference it and that has happened so many times in my career kevin's all of ours and i can't wait for it to happen again uh because when i'm singing that I was singing uh, a new verse of Yakko's World that, has, that puts all the new countries of the, you know, Montenegro and Bosnia, Herzegovina, and he couldn't get his breath. But this time it was from utter uh, laughing, tears of joy. And, yeah. uh, and I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I got way more out of it than Sweet Anthony. I did. And um, I think even people who see it, will get more out of it than Anthony. Um, it is so inspirational. And um, I was even a little bit reticent to post it because we live in a world in which the line between trying to be helpful and informative and maybe even um, an example on, on how to help, how to help. The, there's a fine line between that and self-aggrandizement. Mm. And I, I'm a, I'm a nice guy, but I want to be a better man. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's what we're all here to do is to not stop learning and improving. And I've learned so much from my sweet friends and fans on the autism spectrum, people like Anthony who will always need some help because there are autistic folks all over the world. And God forgive me when I was 10 or 12 people in that difficult circumstance were called retards. Yeah. Shame on us. We know better now. Yeah. Thank God we know better. And you give me opportunities. And thank you so much for playing that. That is such a big deal to me. Because um, as our friend Elvis Costello says, really, what is so fucking funny about peace, love and understanding, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and uh, anyway, I, I could ramble on. But that young man, in his context, is braver than anything I've ever done. Anything, even cancer. I didn't have a choice. Yeah. Once I got diagnosed, the treatment was really difficult and it was throat cancer. So, you know, we make plans and God laughs. What the hell, you know? But again, what that young man shows us is a framework in which to contextualize what is difficult, yeah. what is hard. You know, as I get older, I, I realize, Life cries wolf a lot, you know, holy shit, my car payment's going to be late. Oh my God. Oh my God. What am I going to do? And I, I'm guilty of the same stuff. 
one of the great aspects of having had cancer uh, is that if you're open to it, and I am, and I embrace the opportunity to learn, to live in the moment, to literally learn about what really is important. But I didn't have a choice. Anthony chose to be there. Yeah. Courage is not necessarily being afraid. Courage is doing it even though you are afraid. And, and that's what he did. Yeah. Courage is courage. And that young man had a seven-hour round-trip drive knowing what would happen when he got there and still did it for five minutes with some old guy that can't play hockey. I mean, <laughs> it, it really, it's, it's, it gets existential, but those are such important things to share. And uh, I don't even know if Anthony knows my name. It doesn't matter. Right. The same thing has happened with Kari Payton or Maurice. I, I, I see people, when Tress McNeil starts to riff as a gadget, let alone the Simpsons and Dot and show Gadget from uh, Tales, I don't even, one of the Disney afternoon things. And a young autistic person of 30 or 35 will start to shake and freak out and cry happy tears. Yeah. So my point about, I'm rambling a lot. Clearly I was aptly cast as Yakko. But my point with respect to this gentleman, world-class physicist, I said, isn't this fascinating? We're going to be discussing your time with the rock star of physicists in my generation, Stephen Hawking, and people who are so, I mean, uh, smart, brilliant, whatever. I mean, it's beyond comprehension. But when I do Pinky in the Brain, Leonard Mladenov, this world-class Caltech pop physicist, freaks out. Holy shit, I love that character, Rob. <laughs> Just like Anthony. Yeah. And the disparate experiences they have intellectually every day, you know, in many ways couldn't even be, could not be more different. Right. But there's something about that character or maybe another one or whatever that connects all of us in a, in a way that transcends everything. People in Russia or Estonia or South Africa or uh, Australia, I mean, you know, Singapore, a made up word. If I say narf, it doesn't matter. They all do what you just did, including Leonard Mladenov, right? Including whatever made him laugh, Stephen Hawking. It's, it's just mind blowing to me that the, and, and I'm sure there's some explanation, but the depth of connection irrespective of your intellectual capacity and not being neurotypical, all that goes away. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I so appreciate you giving the opportunity to pontificate because I, I, I love to hear myself talk about it, not because I want to hear myself talk about it, because it reminds me of how glorious it is, how utterly human it is that we can all share something that's a deep connection that is unlike any other living creature on, on the earth. Yeah. I love that. There's a great story that I'm sure you know that when Mel Blanc himself was quite ill. A car accident. He, he, right. And yeah. he slipped into practically a coma, right? He was. 
Yeah. And uh, there's an amazing story about how the doctors brought him out and how they, they said, can we talk to bugs? Okay. And all of a sudden that character comes out. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there's something so deep and I love it. Yeah. And this is, this is why I do this podcast because, you know, it's one of those things that I find that voice actors are very, very humble. They're very kind with their time, but so many people go, oh yeah, I know that voice. And there's just, like you said, that instant connection, that it's almost like a time capsule or a time machine, right? They travel back. Yeah. 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 I had the great good fortune of working with Mel twice. Um, I love it how people say twice before he died. Well, (laughs) no shit. Or people who say, we have three living U.S. presidents here today. Great. Start digging them up. It gets to be really inconvenient. That's right. Uh, Anyway, I had the great good fortune of working with Mr. Blank twice. And he was, you know, in his late 70s. He died at 81, I think. So he's probably 78 or whatever, pretty old. Um, and we were doing a Jetsons project in which he, of course, played Mr. Uh, Spacely. Right. Um, and he could still do it. God bless him. Um, so I'm, uh, Gordon Hunt, who was the director, pardon me, of, of the uh, cartoons in those days, Helen Hunt's father. And mm. um, I got to work and he said, hey, Robbie, Mel's here. You want to sit next to Mel? Sweat and sat next to him and did exactly what I think everybody else did. I introduced myself, pleasant conversation. I said, Mr. Blank, I, before, of course, this was before cell phones. I didn't have anything. I didn't say record this for me, but I said, if, if you don't mind before, and be, I could, he knew what I wanted. Right. And before I could say, if you don't mind, he just looked with a big smile, took off his glasses and said, Ian, what's up, doc? And I, it, it was, uh, I mean, it, it was like, it took my breath away. Yeah. Uh, and just like we said, I, all of a sudden I'm back in Detroit watching cartoons, eating Cocoa Krispies with my dad laughing at the hip cultural references and me laughing at bugs going, duck season, wabbit season, duck season, wabbit season, fire, boom. And all of a sudden this beak back, you know. Um, and now I would never compare myself to Mr. Blank. That's not for my, that's for other people to do down the road doesn't really matter, but I've been in the position right now with you today that Mr. Blank was in with me. Yeah. I, I just have to say turtle power or, you know, what, whatever it is. Hey, Jimmy, does your mom let you play with Alhama? There are places in the world that I submit. If I and Maurice went to, Maurice and I went to um, certain places, eh, there might be people like a Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think, I think he's an actor. But man, we start doing Pinky in the Brain. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you do it in Mongolian? I can't understand you, but I sure know that. Or Bugs, or Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, um, I, I, I'm not, it's not false modesty. Hmm. I'm good at my job, but I promise you, uh, until uh, social media, conventions, kind folks like you became a thing in my professional life, I literally had no idea how deeply people connect uh, with these characters. And I cannot get enough of it. And my literal mission now is to do more stuff like we saw with our friend Anthony, because that's really what it's about. I mean, I've been rich and I've been poor and rich is way better. And I want to keep being richer, but that's not about money. Right. That, that reaction is not about anything but joy uh, and gratitude. And I, I don't even know how to tell you what a compliment that is. 
Yeah, absolutely priceless. Yeah, spot on. Priceless. I'm going to switch gears for a sec because okay. I'd love, we, we mentioned time capsules or time machines. So I knew you would probably wear a ball cap because I've seen so many social media posts. And you know what? At first I thought I was going, I was going to tease you, but then you told me you're a Leafs fan. So I brought the Leafs one oh, just in case. I thought, great. you know, but then you said your second favorite team is the Leafs, which is amazing. So I think I'll embarrass myself. And we're, oh, bless your heart. There you go. Yeah. It's all about the D, baby. Thank yep. you. Are, are you, um, I mean, I know this sounds silly to Americans, but my fellow Americans, there are Canadians who aren't really big hockey fans. Um, are you a hockey fan? Oh, huge. Yeah. Huge okay. Leafs fan, so, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I'm old enough to remember the Red Wings before they, and for years after they um, drafted Steve Eisenman, we're called the dead things right. for very good reasons. And then, of course, we had almost a mini dynasty, and now we're, you know. But, yeah, it was a little bit heartbreaking because I love the Leafs. And, my God, with um, Austin and, and – um, um, oh, oh, God, God, name it. I mean – Yeah, yeah, the guy – and the, the kid that came from uh, uh, the Islanders. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, Captain uh, – oh, God, now I'm blanking. Yeah, well, you know, that, I mean, that's how much he showed up in the playoffs this year. I know. Uh, no, he, he, uh, anyway, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's screaming at the, but uh, anyway, thank you for putting on a Detroit cap. That's really cool. I, um, I got my Lions cap mm -hmm, on today mm -hmm. because I'm not going to overstep too much because the Lions have never even sniffed <laughs> the postseason. Right. You know, in, in my lifetime, I think once they got to a playoff game, but Matt Stafford is healthy. They, they look really good. They drafted well. So, uh, the Red Wings are going to be probably two or three years away from making a real serious run at even the playoffs. Right. It doesn't matter. I, part of my email address is Red Wing because I eat, sleep and breathe them. And interestingly to this day, if I'm cut myself or somebody nicks me with a hockey because I still go around and bang around with my friends, do you know that when I, when I bleed, it's red? How about that? <laughs> Just like the freaking Red Wings. So I'm really clearly a fan. Um, uh, my other, another dear friend of mine who is now, oh, who is now the voice of Bugs, Eric Bowser. Oh, yeah, from, yeah. From Toronto. Toronto boy, that's it. Yeah. Uber talented. And we, uh, we share the same uh, agent, agency. I love him. And years ago, we were at New York Comic Con and he presented me with something. He said, I wanted to give you something that's important to me and almost as important to you. So he gave me a, uh, an authentic Reebok home Leafs jersey, but it had number nine on it because of my love for Gordy. Gordy, love it. In, yeah. in, in your case, it would, in, in my day, it would have been Norm Ullman who wore number nine, who also ended up playing for the Red Wings. But um, so it was a Gordy Howe number on a Leafs jersey with my name on it. Oh, and uh, I just, I flipped out. So, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, fans, Canadian fans, I went to the Dave Keon Billy Harris Hockey School in Etobicoke uh, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. And I was there uh, in Toronto at my uh, Aunt Nick, uh, Aunt Daisy and Uncle Nick's uh, home with my cousins watching the Canada Cup and I remember clearly when Paul Henderson scored that goal. Um, so, yeah, I'm just as close to being a Canadian citizen as well. You know how you can tell that you're pretty much an honorary Canadian is you say okay. both, you say Toronto, not Toronto. 
Thank you. And you say Etobicoke, not Etobicoke. So thank you. There you well, go. You get it. I, you know, I um, I remember years ago, my good friend Doug Hamilton, who now lives in the, I'm sorry, Doug Shoemaker from Hamilton, who now lives in Toronto, sent me a book of sort of ca- uh, Canadian speak, and um, there are a lot of old timers. You know, Toronto is T apostrophe R O N N A. Toronto. It, yeah. Toronto. Hey, uh, well, last night, eh, uh, like the Leafs. Jesus Christ, Toronto didn't show up till about halfway through the third and period, eh? Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I spent so much time up and down the 401. And uh, when I was a youth hockey player, we'd play in Kitchener and Guelph and London and, and uh, Kirkland Lake and all these other places and get to live in daylight speed out of it, but speed out of us. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very, uh, very knowledgeable of Southern Ontario, and uh, it. it has a special place in my heart, just like the Leafs. Nice. Yep. Um, I just want to apologize to uh, John Tavares's camp because the, John the name came to me. I'm nervous, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But John probably, he's probably not listening to this podcast, but if he is, or if, if you, you know are, John. If you are, John. It was, not, you know, it was not anybody's fault but Pinkies. I'm stupid. Narf. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, let's jump because we go from potential hockey player. You, you were really adamant about hockey. You wanted a career in this. Yeah. When did you make the jump? Because you had said, well, you know, I came to LA, but why was acting almost your, I guess, second choice? That's two yeah, very different that? careers. Well, because, you know, I'm a very, um, uh, I'm a very responsible young man because <laughs> I could be a hockey player. I'd have to have something that was a good plan B. So, uh, yeah, that young kid from Winnipeg uh, who gave me a totally clean check this was a I was in a position to be a pretty good high school player and had an opportunity to play in college but I wasn't good enough just to get a uh, a scholarship I had to you know audition I had to uh you know work out with a team and see 15 minutes boom I got drilled totally clean kid who was 40 pounds heavier five inches taller and I was, I'm a good skater, way faster. And I thought, all right, I got no business, not even a business. I'm not going to make this team. So you're done. Yeah. Um, but the only other thing literally that really made my soul as happy as playing even pickup hockey, let alone organized junior hockey, uh, was performing, creating character voices, um, putting on shows, the stuff that all little kids do. Yeah. Um, then of course it was typical stuff in high school. Then, um, even though I went to college for general studies after a year, I was, you know, I was spending all my time writing lyrics, um, hanging out with friends to do sound productions of character voices I created for just for the sake of doing it art for the sake of the art, as it were art with a small a, Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, so I, after a year at college, I went back to my parents. I'm the oldest in my family. So out of four children, I was going to be the example. And all of my siblings ended up going to college and graduated. But I said to my parents, I'm wasting your money and my time. <laughs> I, um, I knew what I was in for. And I was right. My mother was very supportive. My father hit the roof. And they said, well, if you want to go to LA, you know, you're, you're, you had to, you're old enough to go to fight if Vietnam stay, stays around. And you're old enough to vote. But you do understand that the money that is following you to the University of Michigan doesn't 
go to New York or LA with you. Right. Um, and I gulped and I said, I understand. And so I came out here and drove out with a friend of mine. We shared a room for uh, about a year. We drove out together from Michigan in June of, 2000, of 1978. So I've been here for 42 years now. And um, by the time I got here, I had already had almost three years of stage, live stage performance and live music under my belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, every day. And then a year of college. Um, but the college experience was, it was just a waste of time for me. Right. So I didn't, I didn't come here without knowing what I was in for. And I have to tell you that nothing that's happened to me before, uh, rather when the time I got here to this moment, surprised me. Of course, there was a lot of stuff where I was broke. I've been broke more times than I can count. And even within the last 10 or 15 years, I mean, it happens. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's like anyone who finds something about which they're deeply passionate and they're good at it, and then they found a way to make a living at it. Holy cripe. I, I, almost shame on me if I didn't give myself a shot. Remember, I wasn't 35 with a couple of kids and a, and a wife. Right. I was 22 with no encumbrances except a car payment. And, and that's, that was the time for me to do it. So it took me probably five years to get to the point where I could actually make a living. But by a living, I meant paying my rent on time and a, and a better quality ramen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but never once did I complain. Never. Uh, if I had three or four callbacks for something and then I didn't get the job, I'd be bummed out. I'd be a little bit sad, maybe even brokenhearted for a day. But then I had this wonderful little angel on my shoulder that would say, hey, whoever forced you to be an actor, whoever told you that this is something you have to do or you're going to be in trouble? Nobody. My choice. Right. I, so I, I'd say, well, if you can't stand the heat, then go. And I've had friends who are way more talented than I and finally got to a point where they said, I, I've had enough of this. And I totally get that. Yeah. But it's just the way the business is. So the, the glorious part of it is that at 64, the Jones to perform is as strong as it was at 14. That never changes. Uh, and it's not about, again, I, I, I want to make as much money as I can because I love sports cars and I like the home I've been able to pay for. But the, 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 the Jones to do the work, what it is that gets me the job, what it is that it makes nice people like you give me time to ramble about myself is not about money. Yeah. It's about the pure joy of doing it. And I know how fortunate I am. I, I, I really do. It, it is not lost on me daily. It's 100 <laughs> degrees out here and I have long sleeves on because I don't want to embarrass myself. My arms are black and blue from pinching me every day. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's something, I think it was a quote. Now, it could have been a Wikipedia that somebody else wrote. Who knows? But there was a quote that said, you consider yourself a singer first who then became an actor. Yes. There's something super interesting about voice actors. I think everybody that I've interviewed, and I've been very fortunate this, this first season of this podcast, mm-hmm. there is some intrinsic link between voice actors and music. And even if it's, they're not singing, it's definitely they love the music. And it obviously has to do with your work. You listen yeah. for a living. But I want to know, 
who's inspired you? Who's inspired your music career, not just your voice oh, acting? Gosh, that's a, I mean, so many. Um, I have my favorite singers, but because of my wonderful parents, I miss my mother every day. I miss my dad about every five weeks, and he would totally get that. Um, but because I had two parents who were very supportive in terms of fostering a love of the arts uh, in their children, um, I learned to read music as a result of being involved in classical music, mm -hmm. not an opera singer, but choral music. So I was exposed to and love to this day, opera singers, usual suspects. Luciano Pavarotti can bring me to tears. Wow. Literally, just listening to him. It's, he makes an argument. I don't know about how religious you are. I'm a fairly kind of an agnostic kind of guy. I think there's something out there, but I'm more of a spiritual guy. However, when Luciano sings, he makes a case for divine intervention. It's, right. it's unlike something. Okay. So, but also Kenny Loggins <laughs> and also um, Frank Sinatra. And also Mel Torme and, uh, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, oh. um, you know, on and on and on. I listened to Frank Sinatra and um, Johnny Mercer and uh, Mel Torme as much as I listened to Led Zeppelin and The Who and um, Fall Out Boy and 21 Pilots. What's her name in the machine? Eva and the machine or Eva? Anyway. Florence and the Machine. Florence, nice. Yeah. Okay. I, I, all of that. Yeah. World class performance is world class performance. Um, in terms of people who sang animated music, um, I, I didn't really have a uh, a benchmark. Yeah. Um, because certainly Mel Blanc sung pretty well in character. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't what he was really necessarily about. I do remember being the first time I heard Ride of the Valkyries, thinking that somebody must have nicked that from Kill the Wabbit, <laughs> Kill the Wabbit. And then my parents said, let me play something for you. And they played, you know, the Chicago Symphony doing um, Der Nieberlung, you know, and I, and I hear the Ride of the Valkyries written by Wagner in whatever it was, eight, 19, oh, 18, whatever. So, yeah, all those people and more inspired me. Um, and I also like uh, um, uh, had this glorious opportunity in the guise of Animaniacs that when that show was coming along, I thought, holy shit, here I am again. Opportunity, preparation, luck. That's where you make your own luck. Yeah. Um, it is the only time before or since that I went to the producers whom I knew very well because I'd done tiny tunes with them beforehand. Uh, it was Tom Ruger, um, Gene McCurdy in those days, Steven Spielberg again, um, and Andrea Romano, our God bless her nine time Emmy winning voice director. <laughs> and I went to her and Tom Ruger before the first audition on Animaniacs and said, if you don't hire me for this, you're making a mistake. And it was, I promise you, maybe a little bit of hubris, certainly swagger, but not arrogance, because I knew that I could do it. Yeah. And I knew what they were looking for. And I knew that this was one of those times that even at 14 or 15, you have no idea, 15 years down the road or 20 years down the road, you're going, oh my God, 
this is why I used to do that. And I was right. Because if Ninja Turtles changed my career trajectory, because it was the first show I'd ever worked on as an animated, as a voice guy, from a clean sheet of paper that turned out to be inarguably iconic yeah. all over the world. It was the first time, I, if, if that show changed my career, Animaniacs changed my life. Um, and I was so aware of the opportunity that I had that I was confident enough. It's not like Joe Namath saying, yeah, we're going to win. <laughs> right. But it's as close as I'll ever get to saying, if you don't hire me, you're making a mistake. And I was right. I won an Emmy. Everybody did. Pinky and the Brain spun off. Um, and now 25 years later, the King of Hollywood has literally called myself, Tress McNeil, Jess Harnell, Maurice LaMarche, um, let me, not on the phone, but via Ask Rob and Tress and Jess and Mo, because if we, if we do this, it's going to be with them. Yeah. And, I, and now I even know how right I was even more, because this is fairly unprecedented, really, when you think about it. There, we're in reboot mania, but how many shows in animation? I mean, Will and Grace is back, but it was 10 years. We're yeah. talking about 25 years later with the king of Hollywood at 73 years old who calls actors who are successful and celebrated not because of this. He knows he could have called Peter Dinklage to be the brain and Russell Brand to be pinky <laughs> right. if you want to have celebrities. Yeah. Or call, hey, hey, uh, Liam Neeson, how good is your Yakko? You see my point? <laughs> yeah. It's not about yeah. that. Mr. Spielberg is the biggest geek and nerd of, the, of us all. And here we are 25 years later that a show had that much of an impact on an audience, and the audience is now exponentially larger due in no small part to nice people like you, to the extent that Steven Spielberg wants to do it again. Yeah. I really was right <laughs> for one time in my career. I picked it. That was yeah. the show to, to get. So, yeah, lottery winner, baby. Absolutely. I definitely want to talk about the reboot. So that's going to be yeah. my next part. But you know what? Part of why I do this as well was because as, my, as, as being a dialect coach, I love... Oh, great. Yes. So, well, like, you know, I started doing this because I've got a lot of clients who want to do this kind of work. I've always been interested in this kind of work and accents and stuff. And it's funny, I'm going to share about myself now, but it's funny that you brought up um, the killed the wabbit because I grew up on Looney Tunes and that my go-to when my mom says, you know, do Elmer Fudd, it's, oh, boom, Hilda, you're so lovely. And so that's, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The only other guy I know who does a killer, um, Elmer, is Billy West. So oh, you, and yeah. Billy, you and Billy are the only two. I can't even get close. That was great, man. Thank you. Thank you. And talk Warner about Brothers, if you're listening. Reference, and you didn't know that. When you were eight. Right. That's what's so hip about this stuff. You know, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, we, with the singing specifically, because this is something that's really tricky. When you do Yakko, you are doing, you're changing your oral posture a little bit, right? And you're making yes, it I a am. little, yeah. yeah. So it's a little tighter. So how do you sing properly doing that? How do you do it healthily, you know, in a healthy manner without killing what is, you know, your voice? It, it's yeah. your, yeah, your go-to. That is sort of the trick, isn't it? There are certain, uh, beautifully put, vocal posturing 
vocal postures uh, that limit my vocal range mm -hmm. in terms of notes. Right. Um, Yakko is not really one of them because I can sing as Yakko even in falsetto. So okay. I can go, um, la, 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 <clears throat> little, I'm a little tired. La, 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 la. I mean, I can go to my, you know, I can, I can still squeeze my voice and be in my falsetto and say, um, United States, Canada, Mexico, Panama, Haiti, Jamaica, Peru, Republic, Dominican, Cuba, Cuba. but I can still make it sound like Yakko. Yeah. Right. Um, but I can't do that with Pinky. Right. I can't do it with. I could probably do it with Carl because Carl has a lazy L so I could sing. Uh, I'm going to wash that llama right out of my hair. But that's also about the authenticity of the character. That is to say, when Carl speaks in real life, his inflections and the way he says words or finishes a sentence with a question <laughs> um, or has a lazy L like Tom Brokaw so that when I say, you say llama, I say, Llama or cigarette lighter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah. Mom, I'm going to be late. For, that was a choice as an actor. Um, so those things don't limit me singing. But yeah, there are certain vocal postures that, that shave a note or two off because of the way I have to, because of the, the way the character speaks and to make that translate in you know, to make it authentic. Right. And I think that's where I was really fortunate because I knew that Animaniacs was going to be not music driven, but music was going to be a huge component. And I got to sing as Yakko or, or Dr. Scratch and Sniff or Pinky in almost every half hour. Yeah. Um, and I also know because I've been hired to replace or rather to sing for famous actors because they create a character, even if it's with their own voice, they do an animated project for whomever, Disney, Warner Brothers, Pixar, but they can't sing in the character voice. Right. And that's not unusual. It happens all the time for people to sing for actors. But for me to be able to do it in character and it translated just fine to, um, <clears throat> in Hollywood, they have a different language that they speak. It's used by all those folks who went to school for just one week. It's Yakko, and it's not anybody else. Right. So the fact that they can get their money's worth out of me is not only good for them, but it's also great for me because I don't have to have, there's no delineation. I am the real deal, baby. Um, I get to be Yakko, sing as Yakko, sing as Pinky, sing as Carl, um, sing as Dr. Scratch and Sniff. I even got to sing as Donatello in the last version of Ninja Turtles. I think I got to do one or two tunes and they wrote an episode specifically because they knew that Donnie could sing. <laughs> um, and to this day, as much as I love acting, music is still my first, first love. I love it. Okay, let's jump into this reboot because, man, yeah. people are excited about this. Um, is, is there something new about this take or... Because this is the thing about reboots. Sometimes they can go in different directions. Sometimes they can just do exactly what everybody wants and knew yep. and loved. What can you tell us without, you know, breaking Warner Brothers' contract? Right. Well, thank you for asking. Um, first, well, we've already kind of touched on it. 
Um, look, you're talking to 50% of the Ninja Turtles, so I know all about action figures, merchandising, and Ninja Turtles, according to Kevin Eastman, uh, who is a very dear friend, apart from being responsible for impossible amounts of joy, mm-hmm. um, told me last year at Comic-Con um, that the last he heard that the fairly accurate number of Ninja Turtles merchandise to date is about 6 billion gross. Good Lord. That's a lot of action figures. Yeah. But in this context of Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain, I mean, there you can find Pinky and the Brain t-shirts and Animaniacs coffee mugs, or, and there will be a lot more of it, of course, because of the reboot coming November 20th on Hulu. Um, but nothing compared to SpongeBob or Ninja Turtles or My Little Pony, because it's not about that. Yeah. That's what's so wonderful about Animaniacs and Pinky and the Brain and the reboot is that the shows are being rebooted by the man himself for the sake of their, for their own sake. Yeah. Because what has captured the imagination of, like I said, an exponentially larger fan base worldwide now, 25 years later, is the, the scripts, yeah. the, the execution the animation, the music, the melding of it all at a really high level. Those shows are utterly relatable, even though the zeitgeist has changed. We no longer have Bill Clinton playing the sax, um, at least not in the context of Animaniacs, but the shows were so well done, just like Bugs. Bugs is what, 70 or 80? Yeah. We can watch Bugs Bunny from the late 40s, 50s, 60s, and laugh our asses off. And... That's not too dissimilar to Animaniacs and Pinky the Brain. So that's what's so beautiful about the reboot. And right off the bat, uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are self-aware. They know that it's been 25 years. Oh, nice. Um, they, and even in the theme song, I heard and saw for the first time a couple weeks ago the new opening title theme. And it's still the same tune. It's time for Animaniacs, right? But the lyrics have changed, right? And they echo the self-awareness. And what's going to be so great is hearing people and watching people online going, "Oh my God, I, it went by so fast!" But but now I've played it, and oh my God, I, I've slowed it down. This is what the lyrics are. Oh, that's freaking genius! And it is. It's really smart. Um, the new showrunner is Wellesley Wild, uh, who was um, Seth's right-hand guy at Family Guy. Right. And co-producer of the Ted movies. So if you want somebody that knows about subversive humor, we're good. Love it. And the choice to do that by Mr. Spielberg, by the way, was not an aspersion on Tom Ruger and the writers who were the reason we're talking today. Like I said, I don't draw them and I don't write them. Those writers won Emmys and Tom Ruger has, I don't know, a room full of them for obvious reasons. But the choice to bring in a new showrunner was the same reason that I think they hired folks who had proven themselves 25 years ago on Tiny Toons or other similar shows, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have a fellow running it under Mr. Spielberg who has proven himself with Family Guy and Ted and you know, if you help Seth sign a $200 million deal, you're worth a look. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I can tell you, having been there years ago, having had a tangential heartbreak, knowing that the four original voice actors are back, but not Mr. Ruger and his profoundly gifted staff. But I also know that it's show business and the choice they made in Wellesley Wild was spot on. They really nailed it. Nice. Um, ultimately, it is not about anything, but whether or not you guys like it. We're pretty blown away. I have to say that the number of times that we look at each other and go, holy shit, these kids are really, they get it. Yeah. But also remember, they're referencing hip cultural references now that I don't even understand. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I mean, I've had to have things explained to me. Yeah. Not because I'm stupid, but because my frame of reference, I mean, I know all about the political zeitgeist, but I don't know from one day to the next which hip hop artist or which meme, that was a term that wasn't even around when I was, when Animaniacs was, so you see my point. Yeah, yeah. Or meta. I know what that is, but there's a lot of trust that goes into it because we're good at our job. I'm a much better actor at 64 than I was at 54, or even before that when I was doing the first batch of shows. But the cultural references that, and the lampooning of same that are the hallmarks of Animaniacs and Pinky in the Brain have nothing to do with me. They have to do with the writing. <laughs> so I understand the logic of hiring people who are in that realm. It's yeah. not an aspersion on who got us here. It's understanding that if we want to have the same effect on this audience, and the bar is pretty fucking high, mm -hmm. right? Um, it makes sense to hire people to run it and to write it who are from this time culturally, right. just like they were 25 years ago. That's a generation. Steven Spielberg, don't bet against him. He doesn't know what every cultural reference is in. Part of his genius is knowing whom to hire and turning them loose. Right. That's, that's pretty smart. It's not about his ego. It's, no, 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 no. I know who can write this. Right? Yeah. Same with me. Can you still do it, Rob? Well, Steven sees me singing Animaniacs music with an 80-piece orchestra at my age and says, holy shit, he can do this just fine. But I don't write them. So I say, what, what is this? And they kind of chuckle and say, okay, well, here's the video of what we're talking about. And there's a video of it with 8 million views that I've never seen. But right. that's what they're lampooning. So you see my point. They hire people and have hired people who know whom to lamp or what to lampoon and how to do it, just like 25 years ago. So while I understand the concern of an audience, and, and trust me, folks, we got way bigger fish to fry than being pissed off about who writes Animaniacs, respectively. respectfully. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they did it right. Ultimately, what I think doesn't matter. We live in a time in which you will be able to watch your favorite episode of Animaniacs from 1998 or nine when the show was dwindling down or whatever, whenever, the first episode, I don't care. And literally 30 seconds later, punch a button and watch a brand new episode of Animaniacs with a 25 year gap. And that has never happened, not in my career and certainly not with an animated reboot that I know of um, where they hire back the four main 
five main characters, four main actors, mm -hmm. because they know the popularity of what we do when we go to meet people. So they know that. Steven knows that. Yeah. Warner Brothers knows that. Amblin knows that. Hulu knows that. So they, they were smart to bring us back, I think. Um, but I know what I'm talking about because I was also in two different versions of Ninja Turtles with a 30-year gap. Right. I didn't know they were going to hire me again as a Ninja Turtle, but the characters are so important in that realm that it really isn't about the voice talent. Now, I'm good at my job, and I like to think I was good at Donnie and Raphael, but there will be ver another versions, but that's a different type of animated project and reboot because those cartoons, as much as I hope they're really good and interesting to watch, can become a half-hour commercial to sell action figures, and that's okay too. Yeah. I was in Transformers. I was in G.I. Joe. I get it. But Animaniacs is not about that. Bart is not about that. Homer is not about that. Yeah, there's a lot of merchandise and a lot of money generated by The Simpsons, but the, the money and the merchandising is not the point of The Simpsons. Right. Just like it wasn't with Animaniacs. So it makes more sense to hire the actors if they can do it. And we can. Ten years from now, wouldn't have been the right time. Yeah. You know, and maybe even 10 years before. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great question. And yes, they're very self-aware. And as I said, I love talking about it. But I think there, Mr. Spielberg, in his genius, said, okay, let's get a collection. People half my age, whom do you, who do you look to? Oh, let me see his work. Oh, okay. Let's bring these half a dozen guys and girls in and we'll talk to them. Because he knows he doesn't know at all. Yeah. And I'm not speak I'm speaking for him, but I would submit that he he has that in check. He's smart enough to know that he may not know the best person to do this for the best reaction. And he has at his disposal everybody in the world showbiz-wise who could give him advice. Yeah. And and he took it. And boy did yeah, they picked the right people. I got to ask, because I've studied Andrea Romano's amazing career, especially Warner Brothers. Um, and anytime I've had a guest who has worked with her, it's just glowing, you know, what the oh, yeah. experiences they had with her. She, I, I have to ask, when you did Animaniacs, was it as collaborative as I've seen with some of her yeah. other projects? Yeah, you guys were all recording at the same time? Always. And Love it. While we, uh, yeah, always. Always. And um, it was not only uh, the way it was pretty much done in those days, but it was also um, critical, in my view, to the success of the show, uh, because we were encouraged to, you know, once you really inhabit a character, they want you to ad lib. It doesn't yeah. mean that it's gonna end up in the show. And the, the scripts are virtually unchanged, you know, with what you guys grew up watching and listening to and falling in love with, were beautifully written. Yeah by Tom Ruger and Gordon Bressack and Randy Rogel and Charlie Howell and, and um, 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 Deanna Oliver and Sherry Stoner and um, Nick Hollander. I mean, Aunt Peter Hastings, on and on and on. But because they're written at such a high level and because we're really good at our jobs, you start to inhabit these characters and we have, a, a lot of us have huge improv backgrounds and all it does is inspire you to try stuff. Yeah. And you really can't do it to the same level without the other actors around you. So that was always by choice. Things have changed a bit uh, in the way we can record. Mm -hmm. And 
sometimes, especially with the pandemic, it's not as healthy to right. have eight people in the room together. So thank goodness we have the technology that I can record from home um, and or go in, but by myself. I always prefer to be with the other actors. And the first two seasons, there are two seasons in the can and all of them will record with us all together. Oh, great. So um, I believe we'll get picked up for more. And when we do, we'll be, you know, we'll be through this. But um, I still record by myself for other shows uh, virtually every week. I'm doing post-production tomorrow on Animaniacs, adding some stuff. But it was still uh, the choice of uh, Tress, Maurice, Jess, myself, Wellesley Wilde, the showrunner, and everybody to record together precisely for that reason. Love it. That's great. You can tell though. I mean, I, I think that's again, part of the charm, right? You yeah. just, you can feel that brotherhood, that sisterhood. I think you and your friend Mo, you know, the reason you guys are uh, so linked is yeah, there's just a connection there. So yeah, he, he really is um, beyond a buddy. Yeah. You know, Maurice is, uh, is a brother uh, for so many reasons. His prodigious skill is i mean that's that is legendary and and yeah. and he deserves those emmys and more <laughs> but it's hollywood yeah. my god I, I can make a phone call and call carrie elwes or or Car Mar um, mark hamill kevin conroy nancy cartwright dan castellanetta um billy west you know tara strong tress mcneil um, Troy Baker, Nolan, you, you name it. They're all freaking gifted. Mm -hmm. But Maurice's relationship um, with, uh, uh, between your, yours and mine, I think really enhances Pinky and the Brain because we really do love each other. Yeah. And um, boy, is he good. Holy shit, is he good. <laughs> and he's one of those guys that, that makes you better. You yeah. know what I mean? You, you talk to professional athletes or um, golfers, whatever. Same thing is true in show business. I surround myself with people who are way better than I, and I got no problem admitting that. Yeah. But boy, do they make me better. If I'm a John DiMaggio, and I start ripping with Bender, riffing with Bender, holy cripe. Before I know it, I'm, I'm riffing at a really high level because Johnny is unstoppable. Right. Incredible, incredible gift. So I'm going to put you on the spot for the last question because okay. we, really, we haven't really talked about, and this is where my childhood comes in. You have played two of the Ninja Turtles, as you mentioned. You've played Raphael. You've played Donnie. Donnie's my favorite, by the way. So Thank you. Yes. By the way, wasn't that a really good iteration of the show? Oh, fantastic. The version? Mm-hmm. I have to say that even Kevin says, boy, Kevin um, um, uh, Eastman, right. one of the creators of Ninja Turtles, says, you know, I got to say that the 2012-2016 iteration in which I was Donatello, uh, Sean Astin was Raphael, um, ultimately Seth Green was Leo, and Greg Sipes, Beast Boy, um, was uh, Mikey. Yeah. And the gloriously gifted Hoon Lee played Splinter. Right. Uh, who is now in Mulan. Um, boy, what an actor. What an actor. Kevin says, I got to say, that's pretty much the, mo the purest version that reflects the ethos of the of Ninja Turtles from when Peter and I Peter Peter Laird right Kevin created Ninja Turtles 
in you know 1984 that if we have to go back that version in which i was donatello and you in your is your favorite was the purest version of of the background story and the ethos of ninja turtles so it was a good one that's great oh see high praise coming from the creator so huge now here's the tricky part because you have worked with two different ninja teams um this is by no means a comment on the amazing work of the voice actors who have done leo and mikey in the past I want to put you on the spot so you can do a third Ninja Turtle. I want you to pick either Leo or Mikey and give us your just really quick take. What would your sound, what would that be? Well, it would probably be Mikey just because I love how big that character is. Yeah. Uh, also, Leo, um, I've done Raphael and Donnie and they are to be sure different. Um, even to me, I, because they should be. I should be able to be good enough at my job so that you watch both versions and say, well, it's pretty clear that it's Rob doing both, but Donnie's way different. Right. Um, his attitude, his, his whatever, make his organicness as an authentic character is totally different than what drives Raphael's thinking process. Yeah. And that means I've done my job well. Um, but if I do Leo... I wouldn't affect a tone because Leo is the leader. Right. And I didn't really, Donnie, Donnie's a little bit higher pitched and nerdier than Raphael was because Raphael is just shredder. You tin face geek, get back here and taste cold turtle steel, you know? And then Donnie will say, wait a minute, butt cannons. It has butt cannons. <laughs> it's a little different and nerdier, but it's still the same. You can tell. Okay. Um, Mikey, I would really love to have an opportunity uh, to do if they want to stay with the Serper thing, but I would probably drop, do things like uh, use the wrong pronoun. Like I would say, like, we know, like, firstly, like, isn't it interesting? Like I'm all, all of a sudden saying like way more than Rob does like it, right? <laughs> um, I would probably use the, an incorrect pronoun for instance, we know that if a word starts with a vowel, we say, hey, that guy lost an arm, uh, as opposed to that guy lost a testicle, right. which I know because I was Snowball in Rick and Morty, and I can say. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's right. My testicle summer. But you see my point. I don't say I lost an testicle. Mm -hmm. I say I lost a testicle but I lost an arm. Right. But those little nuances are what makes a character authentic. So I might say, wow, dude, we had this fight with Shredder upstairs. And I'm telling you, man, I think that guy lost an arm. <laughs> Look what happens to you. That's great. It's a nice right? touch. Yeah. But it's authentic. I would make it an exemplary part of my whole ethos. And I don't even know what ethos means. I think it's an island not an island. Isn't it interesting? I didn't even have to think about it. Immediately, as soon as I went to island, I said a island because I had already told you that that's what my Mikey would be about. Right. And it's not because I'm a genius. It's because I've been doing this a long time. So improvisationally, when I make that choice, I start to talk a little different, not different, different, because those are all colloquial ways to get the same point across, but they, they inhabit a character and make it authentic. So, yeah, that's what I would try. 
I would like to really give it a shot and figure out that I don't know if it would be ethical or not, but I sure want to do it and whatever, dude. Yep. Oh, freaking bugger. <laughs> Let's make it happen. I say yeah. all four. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You, buddy, what a great, and, and I've never, I've had quite people ask me, which is my favorite, but I've never had anybody ask me to do that. So thank you very much for giving me the chance. Not a problem. What a, what a pleasure. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time. Speaking of oh, pleasure, this was fantastic. Honestly, I um, really appreciate you giving me your time and the time of your wonderful audience and the opportunity to ramble. Um, I've been around a while, and the older I get, the more I get and understand deeply that this is a privilege in which I find myself. I have worked really hard for the privilege of taking up your time, and to the extent that it has entertained you, certainly has me, um, but and, and brought a measure of joy and understanding and maybe even inspiration to your audience members. The, the, the main thrust of this was the glorious opportunity you gave Anthony and me. That's important. That's really important. I mean, those things aren't lost on me. So thank you, buddy. So on that note, we just look forward to a little more Rob Paulson because of course the Animaniacs reboot coming out uh, Friday, November 20th. So in about two and a half weeks. And uh, I've been very fortunate with the timing of my guests, even though I've done most of these interviews, you know, months prior sometimes. This was just uh, one of those things that uh, we needed a little reminder of the joy of life, human connection, empathy, all that fun stuff that Rob represents. It's just, uh, we need a little joy, I think right now, especially after this year. So let's uh, let's end 2020 on a good note, at least a healing note. I hope the Vocal Cues podcast does that. I hope Rob Paulson did that. And uh, more importantly, I hope Animaniacs does that too in two and a half weeks. I know I'm gonna be watching. And uh, I hope you guys are listening next week because we are in the home stretch of Vocal Cues Season 1. We only have four episodes left. And of course, the last four episodes are fantastic, just like the first six. So be listening, be here next Wednesday. And hopefully everybody's a little bit happier than the stress-filled Wednesday morning that, that, that this morning was. <laughs> and on that note, we'll see you next week. <laughs>